Hello, and thank you for listening to the From Lost to Light podcast. My name is Michelle, and I'm here with my co-host, Angie. Hi, Michelle. Hello. Today, we have a very special guest in-house. I am so pleased and proud to introduce my friend, Carrie England. I met Carrie when I attended the Okoboji Writers Retreat in Okoboji, Iowa. And if you read my book, Better Not Bitter, a journey from heartache to healing in my book carrie is mentioned when i talk about my journey to forgiveness so we're going to jump right into this and we'll start out with carrie telling us about herself her life today and really about her losses that she sustained in life and how she found her light take the stage Thank you. Before we get started, just a disclaimer that the topic of suicide will be discussed. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It's an honor to be here. I've been excited ever since Michelle asked me to join you on the podcast. I love what you're doing. It's important. It has a lot of meaning to me. And I know that you'll be helping lots of people with your podcast. I'm I'm Carrie Visser or England. Visser's my maiden name. I don't know why I said that. I haven't said that for so long. <laughs> I currently live just west of Des Moines, Iowa on a big acreage that my wife of 15 years and I are in the process of buying. And we have a dog, a cat. I like to take pictures of the sunset and Michelle will know on my Facebook if she's because she's my friend. I love taking pictures of the sunset and the sunrises. I love the wide open spaces and the big clouds and the trees. I'm a country girl at heart. I grew up in a in rural Iowa and I feel like I've gone home. But I've lived in the city my adult life, so I'm back in the country. So I'm really happy where I'm at. I'm blessed to be where I'm at. And every day I thank God and I feel very grateful. Well, that's great, Carrie. We would like to hear about your road to recovery. Yes. And then also about a significant loss you sustained. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. I've been in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction since 1989. That's when my journey from Darkness to light truly began. I haven't had a drink or a drug since September 17th of 1999. And that's by a lot of hard work, belonging to a 12-step program and doing a lot of deep inventory, soul work, looking at my part of everything that's happened in my life, taking the blame off others, And not drinking or doing drugs. That's the first thing. (laughs) If there's any listeners out there that are struggling with alcohol and drugs, I feel your pain. And when I first quit, it was like it was a significant loss. It was like I lost my best friend. Alcohol was my constant companion. Alcohol helped me to get through a hard day, a good day. It was what I turned to. It gave me courage. Liquid courage is what they call it. And so when I was faced with not drinking alcohol any longer, I thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to live? How am I going to put one foot in front of the other? And it was, it took me a long time. I spent three decades in a 12-step program. I've been to treatment, outpatient treatment, inpatient treatment. And I believe that process 
of taking different actions every day. I believe in neuroplasticity. Another thing that Michelle and I have in common, other than being writers and going to the writer's retreat and loss, is that we're both nurses. I'm re I retired from nursing in 2019. And so I believe in the brain power. I believe you can rewire your neural pathways and by taking different actions. And so that's, I believe, what's happened for me today. I'm glad that I don't have to reach. There isn't for a drug or an alcohol or a drink. There's nothing that an alcohol makes better. And that's something that Michelle and I, she talks about in her book, The, the Alcoholic Who Killed Her Husband. And we were in, <clears throat> excuse me, we were in a group together when she said that, and it felt very personal. I didn't know her, but when she talked about the alcoholic who, who killed her husband, I felt like she was talking to me. And I said that I could have been that alcoholic. I drank no alcoholic that I've ever met thinks I'm going to drink and get behind a will. No alcoholic I've ever met sets out to harm anyone. Once you drink, once that alcohol gets in your system, at least this is my story, I lose my ability to choose and mm -hmm. alcohol takes control. So that's my recovery journey. And I can tell you that when my father committed suicide in January, in February of 2009, I was grateful that I was sober. Yeah. If I hadn't, yeah, if I hadn't been sober, I know I would have just turned to the bottle and not dealt with things well. And there's just nothing that a drink makes better. There's a couple of points I just wanted to bring up. The timeline is interesting because Angie's husband died two days before your dad yeah. and my Joe was killed the month after your dad. So our yeah. griefs were like the same time frame. Yeah. But what was interesting for me that day that we met at the Lake Okoboji Lake, sitting outside on those white chairs, a beautiful fall day. I can still see the scene because it made such an impact on me. And when you said, I could have been that drunk driver, you stopped me in my tracks because what nobody really knew was I had never even seen a picture of the drunk driver that killed my husband. Never to this day. I have no idea what she looks like. Wow. Just stories that I've heard. And it was almost as if you were putting a face to her and something triggered in my brain like oh my gosh she was a real person too and exactly. and and up to that point to me it was just this imagination of this person in my mind who was did all these evil deeds of killing my husband so anyway i just wanted to interject those two things no and i love that and you sent us over just a, a small bio and story, and I read that a couple times actually, Carrie. And I just really, I really took in everything that you said and that you wrote about. But as you talked about prior to your dad dying by suicide, you talked about your where you were in recovery. And the thing that got me was, and I highlighted it, so I'll read what you wrote. It says you were talking about the neuroplasticity. I can't even say that word, no neuroplasticity and how it rewired your brain and all that. But you said, this is how I found my candle in the darkness of addiction and went from loss to light. And you said, I haven't had a drink or a mood altering drug since September 17th, 1999. And 
Congratulations. I just, that, I highlighted that because you told a, a heartbreaking story of your life with addiction prior to that. And, and then you jump into what I want you to talk about next is your father's loss and about your father. And you said it already too, just a little bit that if you were still an addict at the time or addicted or actually using, you wouldn't have been able to move forward with your father's death. But let our listeners know what happened from that moment from your father's death and what happened and moving forward. Absolutely. Thank you. My father had a terminal illness, the same cancer that his father and younger brother died of. So when he discovered that he had five years in remission, but when he discovered that it had metastasized, he went into a deep depression. And as a nurse, I asked him the questions that you ask. Do you feel like you're going to harm yourself? And my mom called my brother and said, please take the guns out of the house. My dad was a double amputee. He lost his arms in an electrical accident before I was born. So he had two prosthetic arms and two hooks. And what he did on that day, um, it was the middle of winter and there was a thaw. He tied a noose and he actually hung himself in an outbuilding on my mom's property. And it destroyed our world, just came crashing down. My dad was definitely the glue that held us all together. And I felt I had to be strong for my family. My mom fell apart and I made decisions that probably she would have rather made, but she wasn't in a position to make at the time. And, and so it all happened really quickly. And then I was, I had a friend and her name actually was Michelle as well. Not this Michelle. And she lost her mother years before, and she was still grieving so deeply. And I thought, what is wrong with me? Why am I not? I started to compare my grief to her grief and wondering why was I not grieving as much as she was. And then I thought maybe it's because I've had to be strong for my family. I think that was part of it, but also because I thought maybe it's because I've been a nurse so long and I've taken care of so many dying patients. I'm just numb to the process. And it and what I found was that I had actually had delayed grief. And when the dust settled down the road, I found myself not being able to sleep at night. I became very anxious and afraid to drive. During that time, my, my wife was my rock. I would ask her to drive me to work. I couldn't get up. I couldn't drive. I was afraid to go out of the house. I don't know. It was a very strange time and grief does really strange things to strong people. And uh, I did get some counseling and I did eventually, and I took an antidepressant for a while. Uh, and then I was able to taper off that down the road, but I did everything that I could do during that time to, to try to feel better and to get through that. But I do believe that my grief was just delayed. I, I had to wait and it was a really dark time something that happened during that time was I really felt like my father was guiding me to get a dog. And I found a little dog. His name was Benny and I rescued him. And I walked that dog every day. And I truly feel like that Benny was a gift because I had something else to focus on, something to take care of. And it got me out of the house every well, I day. I appreciate that because our cats were <laughs> instrumental in my healing the cats Absolutely. that we had our indoor cats so yeah i appreciate that part me too i we had a dog a little lab cooper when my husband had died and 
you know, he it's the dogs are just amazing because my husband was only on hospice for about two days is all he was on hospice for. But during that two days, that little lab who was not even a year old laid under his hospice bed the whole time. And it was like protecting Jack from, from, I don't know what, I don't know what, just being there for him. So I just, that's still a vivid memory that I have. Carrie, I have a question for you. And this relates to the impact that you unknowingly made on me. You didn't know that day that we met that I would leave from that event of us meeting and how it would put me on the path of forgiveness towards the drunk driver that killed my husband. But once you learned that and actually read all the details in my book, what did that make you feel? Oh, I felt bad, Michelle. I actually felt guilty for being so frank and even a little defensive in my statement that drunk driver could have been me. One of the characteristics of alcoholics is that we're selfish and self-centered. And when you said that you were mad at that drunk driver, I felt defensive and I didn't know you. If I had known you and known your story, I would have definitely been more compassionate. But maybe you wouldn't have gotten to the place that you are if I had. I agree. I I will agree with that because... I think I believe in God and my faith is very important to me. And I do believe that God placed me in that spot at that moment. What you don't realize, or I didn't really talk about in the book is I wasn't going to go to that, that, that part of the retreat. We could pick our groups that we wanted to join. And I had tried to get in another one and it was it looked really full so then i thought then i'll do deb's now deb engel she's an author and she was leading the group and so i just i wouldn't have met you i don't think had it not been for that fact that i had to switch at the very last moment and join her group we call those god winks yes yes it truly (laughs) was and i just really believe that god put me on that path that day that and i don't think before that day that I probably would have been as open to forgiveness because I was so raw for so many years. And I think for me, enough time had passed, enough healing had passed that I was able to be receptive to what was going on around me. And you saying those words, and then what you don't know is after that, I watched you at the retreat the remainder of that time. And we had a few interactions after that. We would stop and visit with each other. But the whole time I was thinking, would this be what it would be like if I met the actual person that killed my husband? She was killed in the accident too, or the crash too. So I never met her and I still don't know what she looks like, but it put me on the path of healing. And you didn't even know that was going on in my head. I didn't know that. And then when I learned that I had helped you find forgiveness and I really was thinking about that, the conclusion I came to was by forgiving that alcoholic, you also forgave me. And so I wow. had another healing, very deep 
on a deep level by, and I do believe that's how forgiveness works. I think when we forgive somebody, even if we don't tell them we forgive them, it starts that ball of rolling and people heal all around us. The act of forgiveness is really a gift we give ourselves. It really is. is. That's right about the healing. And we've talked since that time that maybe there would be some way to utilize our joined stories to help Mm -hmm. other people. Maybe somebody else that's out there fighting the battle of addiction to maybe hear my story or somebody who's in recovery who's hasn't forgiven themselves. Or maybe somebody who's a survivor, like myself, a spouse, a child, a parent who lost somebody to the acts of a drunk driver, maybe they would help find themselves in a similar position where they could get on the path of forgiveness. Right. I do believe, I do believe that's the key today. I know for me, the key is to healing is forgiveness unconditional love, radical self-love, loving yourself no matter what, and loving others no matter what, unconditional love for everyone. And that's where I'm at today. That's where my journey has led me is to a place of love and forgiveness. Really, that's all there is for me today is love and forgiveness. How can I help somebody today? How can I, if I'm feeling down or out of sorts, I think to myself, who haven't I forgiven? Who needs for who needs some love? Who can I think about today? I'm currently taking care of my mom who's 86 years old and my mom pushes my buttons because she installed them. My mom pushes <laughs> and so it's been I love that. I do too. <laughs> I've got to see her as this vulnerable woman and not just as my mom. And I've got to see her humanity. And it's such a gift. I wouldn't have told you I thought it was a gift when it started, but it has turned out really to be a gift for me. I love that. So since you have moved through all your, through your period of life, your journey, we call it, how can you, or can you let some of our listeners know some, any tools that you used? I know you've mentioned a couple, but really that you leaned into that really helped you get to that point. Absolutely. That's a really good question. And I think it's really important that your listeners know they never have to do anything alone. I didn't know that when I first got into recovery. And I'm so grateful that I knew it when my dad committed suicide because I leaned, I leaned on the people that I loved. I leaned, I had a support group. There are support groups, suicide support groups. And I went to a couple, but I stayed with my 12 step family because they become so important to me. I did have an opportunity once to go to a big suicide conference and they, we broke into groups and I actually sat in a room full of people who had lost their father, specifically their father to suicide. And that was really powerful for me. Oh, but where was this at? It was in Des Moines. It's something that they do around like yearly, they'll have a big conference. And it was cool, but I didn't keep going. I just didn't, I didn't need that support, but I I know people who do. Obviously it's there if you do need it. And also, I think I learned that life is a series of uncomfortable phases and it's okay to be uncomfortable. And that pain doesn't last forever. It will go away. 
and that there isn't anything that a drink will make better. It only delays your pain. It only puts off healing and it doesn't help anything. And like I said before, for me, it's also about getting honest, finding that support system, being honest with myself, being honest with other people and finding a power greater than myself, which I call God, unconditional love, source energy. That has been really important to me to connect with a power that's greater than myself. That's all. That's just all really huge. I don't know. My sister-in-law died from alcoholism. She died to my first husband's sister. She died in 2018 in June from alcoholism. And we, she just, she didn't know how to deal with just the grief of losing her nephew, my son and her brother. And then, and she couldn't find that unconditional love for herself. And she was married at the time, but they were not cohabitating. And so they, you know, she was alone. And, but when she was here, she lived in Colorado, but when she would come here to Nebraska, that's all we gave her was unconditional love. And we tried to get her to where she needed to be. And she got healthier when she was home because she was surrounded right. by love and everything that you just said. And then she thought she was better. And, but she never got to the point where she thought she needed the programs like you talked about. And I wish, you know, I wish she could have. A lot of people don't get it. I'm, I'm blessed, but for the grace of God, go I, because there are so many people with alcohol and drug addictions out there that don't get help, that they don't stop and they end up killing themselves or killing somebody else or in institutions that it's never, the outcome is never good, you know, or they live a life of sadness and pain and heartache and isolation. Yeah. That Alcoholism. That's my law to T. Yeah. Carrie. Oh, I Yes. I know you worked in rehab, correct? Am yes. I correct? I, I did. I worked in alcohol substance abuse treatment. Yes. Okay. Can you talk for a minute? And th this is maybe for my benefit and anybody, any of our listeners that maybe lost a loved one to a drunk driver. Can you talk a little bit about those individuals that were responsible for taking somebody's life while under the influence and how it affected them afterwards. I'm sure you met some. Absolutely. I More than I'd like to admit. I also took 12-step meetings into the Mitchellville Women's Prison for years and met women who had actually been in prison for killing people while driving drunk. And they were remorseful. Obviously, their lives ended that day as well. And most of them that I talked to wish they died right along with the people, the victims that they killed. Alcoholism is a disease. Right. It's a disease. And it's a disease that tries to tell the alcoholic that they don't have a problem. So it's a disease of denial. I don't have a problem. And then it also will tell you, you can just take one drink. You deserve it. It won't hurt. Just have one. I'm not, I need it. I've had a hard day. And the problem is once an alcoholic takes a drink, they can never tell when that phenomenon of craving will kick in and the obsession. And once the obsession to drink kicks in, then they lose control and they can't make good decisions. And they don't, they lose the choice to drink or not. They want to, but they can't. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Mm -hmm. Being a nurse, that was a lot 
I dug deep in my soul to remember that it was a disease process going on, and that helped me to find my way to forgiveness. But I know we're going to be running out of time here, and I think Angie's probably going to be wrapping up a little bit. Yeah, I just, the one thing to carry on, I'm sorry, we had a few glitches in the beginning, so our time was a little bit shorter, but maybe that calls for you to come back on again, and we can dive deeper for sure. But something else I highlighted in what you sent us, which I think is what you said, and this is Carrie's quote, it says, by understanding that life is a mix of comfortable and uncomfortable phases, I was able to move from the pain of loss to the comfort of light. And that is beautiful. And that is everything that I know Michelle and I are trying to encompass here as a whole by having people like you carry on there here that are so strong and beautifully knowledgeable in what you've gone through, because I think it takes a very strong person to figure out the depths of your soul of what you've been through and you've done a phenomenal job and thank you i would echo the same sentiment yes like when we end we always like to end our podcast about anything do you have carrie a favorite quote or a song or a little thing that you've heard in a book that resonates with you that you lean on absolutely so after my dad died I had a ticket. I had tickets to go to the uh, James Taylor concert and my wife didn't want to go. So I went by myself and I sat in this intimate venue and I sobbed quietly through the entire show. I don't know why, but it just, the music reminded me of my dad. And then when James Taylor sang his version of the Beatles, here comes the sun. I felt like my dad was telling me to have hope and that things were gonna get better. And so every time I hear that song, Here Comes the Sun, I think of my dad and I think about how things will always get better. I love that. And why else? I love that. I lost my husband, but I'm remarried. And when I got remarried, my husband and I got remarried in Mexico on a beach. And that was a song he picked out for me to walk down to. And oh God. So it just, it means so much to me because I, and like you, the way you said that, it's like, he was telling me too, everything's going to be all right. And he wanted the world to know that I was going to be okay too. So I love that. Thank awesome. you for sharing that. So again, Carrie, we just, we have about five minutes here that we can just chat. Do you, anything that we left out that you'd really like to share with our listeners that maybe we didn't I think my grief story was such that I wondered why I wasn't grieving as much as I should be. And then I had the delayed grief. And what I found is that grief for me anyway, is like accumulative. I might think I'm better and then something else will happen and I'll revisit that grief again. It's like water hitting the shore. It's going to come and it's going to recede and it's going to come and it's going to recede. And when something first happens, it might crash to the shore. Your whole world gets turned upside down and then it gets, it doesn't ever go away. Those waves are always hitting the shore. I would like to ask you specifically regarding suicide. I recently lost somebody that was special to me to suicide, a friend of mine. Is there any advice that you have for me? I've been struggling with her passing. And so I'm just wondering from that aspect, do you have any words 
of advice? We already know this, Michelle, but it's not your fault. And there's nothing you could have done to prevent it. With my father, like I said, I asked him all those questions that nurses ask patients that are suicidal. And we tried to prepare. I asked him if he was going to shoot himself. He hung himself. There was nothing I could do. And I had to get over that guilt of thinking. And I, as a nurse, I felt cheated. I'd taken care of hundreds of dying patients. I would have taken care of my dad to the very last day. So I think suicide, suicide is sad. It's just so sad. And it, it takes a long time to get over that pain. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Carrie, I have enjoyed this so much. Thank I can't you. wait to catch up with you more. But for now, we're going to leave you. And we thank you for sharing your light with us. And I'll see you next month. Yes. And then we will, our, to our listeners, we will see you in about two weeks with another special guest. And we hope you find the light in your journey. Thank That's you. Right. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.